Hello everybody and welcome to State of Play. I'm your lovable host Charles, as always. Tonight on the show we're going to be discussing a whole range of topics, some new, some old. But first, here's Chris. Chris, what are you an expert in? Uh, not much, but um, I guess I can take the PS4 corner along with... So you are going to be our honorary dirty consultard for this uh, this particular engagement? I'm always a dirty consultard. Even though, even though we have a powerful gaming PC. Yes, exactly. I mean, if, if you're going to be labelled by the uh, PC Master Race, you might as well uh, live the label. No, I've always got so to live to up to you. Well, yes, exactly. exactly. Anyway, we've got another person here today with us, which is Mike, who I have a suspicion is going to be another honorary uh, console tard for the moment. Hi, Charles. Yes, I'm a PlayStation 4 player and a PC player. Ah, excellent. So you're halfway redeemed already, then, is, uh, <laughs> is, is our way of looking hey, at it. Hey, wait a minute. Why am I not redeemed? That's because you're you, Chris. Right, yes. got it. You came into this conversation with a handicap, and we have to acknowledge it, Chris. Yeah, but therefore I should have special rights? No. Oh. Anyway. No, that basically means that you have to work harder to, to get to where we are at the moment. Or at least to have us acknowledge it. Okay, I will try my best. Speaking of something which we probably shouldn't acknowledge, but everyone else has been acknowledging it, so I think we have to discuss it at some point, uh, it's Steam Greenlight. Yeah. Oh no. Hooray. See, even I feel dirty talking about this. I'm a massive fan of Steam, but wow, just wow. Well, Steam Greenlight has kind of been the uh, the bleach on the underpants of Steam for a while, so to speak. So do you want to give us a uh, rough introduction about what we're going to talk about? Uh, yes, so the recent controversy has been another game that is masquerading as satire, in huge air quotes, uh, which is the game Kill the Faggots. Or Fagot, as I'm told, uh, was released on Steam Greenlight uh, and was pretty quickly yanked back off Steam Greenlight after receiving a massive amount of controversy. Uh, completely and utterly earned in every single way. Chris, what do you feel about this subject before we start? Um, honestly, I don't know how to feel. I, I, can, <laughs> I can see... Okay, I'll, I'll play devil's advocate. I can see it from both sides of the table. I can see why, yes, it's satire, but we've, uh, I assume all of us here have quite a, a twisted sense of humour, should we say. We love Cards Against Humanity and that sort of humour, but having something as just outrightly, I can't even think of a word for it, just outrightly abusive as this is a bit too far, Mike? I think it's, yeah, Mike, sorry. Have any? Have either of you seen the... Um... Any actual gameplay? I watched uh, a gameplay video of it. I did not play it myself, unfortunately. I I didn't even hear about it until it was yanked down off Steam, uh, which which I think shows how quickly the response was to its uh, illustrious presence. Yeah, exactly. I saw. I've seen the. Um, I've seen a bit of gameplay of it, and I couldn't qualify anything out of anything from that as satire. It was blatant and absolute hatred for giving points for killing transvestites and gay people. You were deducting points for accidentally killing straight people. And the background commentary, including things like, oh, you've killed an HIV carrier, is just blatant hatred. I mean, it, it's very much an example of a, a publisher, a publisher, by the way, called Scaldic Games, who is trying to claim that something is satire or is making a, quote, social statement. When in reality, it, it 
it's not even Poe's law. It's not being mistaken for hatred because it is satire. It is just the hate speech, fundamentally. Yeah. I mean that I've seen the I haven't played it either, which I, I like I say I feel good about not having played it. I've seen screenshots and is as Mike said, it's just hatred. Like if we had the same thing, um say for argument's sake uh, I don't know if I get in trouble for saying this, against say the Jews it would be exactly the same. Or say if you had black people and you were shooting black people. Actually, I could I could see a parallel between that and Resident Evil Six, but was it no. Resident Evil Five? Five, five. That was it. But anyway, do you see what I mean? It's you can't persecute one specific race in a game, regardless of who they are. You, you can't do it if it's over the top and obviously funny, and you you taking the the Mickey out of people who are actually racist or actually bigots. A good but, example of that being, say, uh, GTA V, where they are taking they're taking the mick out of everybody. No one group is going to come out of GTA V that looks particularly uh, particularly well. They, they are equal opportunity offenders, and it actually is funny when they're trying to do the satire. It's not just, ha-ha, look at, look at a gay person. Precisely. There's no satire in, in this. I, I don't even like using the title of the game. It, it, there's nothing there. You've got a stereotypical gay or transvestite. Um, a stereotypical. It's not really stereotypical. You just dress them up in colourful clothes. And you shoot them. That's a good point. The graphics of this game are so bad that you it, it took me time from looking at the footage that I saw to actually identify any of the stereotype. They're so murky and indistinct. Yeah, but what's the satire in shooting someone in the head? Um, a blatantly racist and bigoted... Um, statement said when he killed it. I mean, it just proves really, I mean, as a, as a long run as well, that Steam Greenlight needs a vetting procedure. Oh, exactly. I mean, the current uh, the, the current threshold really to get onto Steam Greenlight is just a one a one hundred dollar payment. I mean, uh, that may sound like it's enough to push away people who are just going to be trolls who are just going to make something quickly in, say, Unity or uh, any any other uh, freely available software and then just throw it up in the hope of getting some quick a quick buck. But then you get the people like this who that $100 uh, kind of threshold is not going to stop them from putting something out if they have a real... they think they have a real message behind it. But then I think the the best way of doing this then is to have a select few... You know, on Steam they've got the curators which are specific groups of people that uh, like specific games, like Rooster Teeth have one, and there's many others. Why not have um, uh, a way to vet this before it goes to the public, but through a specified channel? So open it up to certain community members and say, okay, play this. So a bit like playtesting, I guess, but have it so that it's not leaked to the public if it is offensive or degrading or just downright bad. You see, I sort of disagree with this because Steam is, for all intents and purposes, a paid service. They're getting paid by publishers to host the game and we are paying them as part of the price we pay to the publishers to use their service. So the least they can do is have two or three people going through all these submissions to make sure that things like this do not get about because we're talking about hatred for a certain group of people but what's to stop anyone for sake of the argument putting down a game that i don't know um glamorizes pedophilia or the jimmy savile the game 
Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that already exists in some format, given some of the games I've seen. I mean, for example, this week I saw a game that was, I think it was called John Cena Sexy High School Experience. And I don't think I need to elaborate any more on that title. Please don't. uh, (laughs) Yes. But yes, I do understand what you mean. Um, I mean, the obvious caveat that you might get back from Steam is, look, we're providing this as a service to let people get exposure and and it might limit that uh, any chance of someone to actually get their work out there if, if they're not uh, partnered with a large publisher. Uh, a problem which is then the problem with that is it's then undercut by a couple of things. The first thing is that you don't need to be paired with a large publisher in order to actually get your game onto Steam. You can you can effectively be paired with uh, what I call a paper publisher who will happily put you through onto Steam. Um, however, also they then will have the other complaint of well, how are we supposed to vet this vast uh, ecosystem of uh, Steam Greenlight in order to decide what is the best and what, what isn't kind of worthy of our fans? Um, well, I'd, I'd say that they that maybe should have been a problem that they actually thought about when they made this vast open-ended system, which anyone can pong anything on. Yeah, precisely. I just realised when we started out with this podcast, we said we're going to keep it light-hearted and fun. And now what are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Serious, like, I would call it a crime against humanity. It's it's that bad. It's almost as bad as, you know, Russia's anti-gay laws. Well, it's it's not the first game in a while that has actually done anything like this. We saw the game Hatred when that was uh, that was announced, where it was, was very much just... Uh, was Again, claiming to be a satire position, but in reality was, was, was not even posed law. Uh, this is in the game where you're playing as kind of a mass spree killer, uh, who who is like the most stereotypical I do hate I like I fucking hate all of humanity and you all need to die sort of characters. Sounds like my character in Borderlands. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's Borderlands. I mean, Borderlands is not pretending to be anything kind of more that's than just satire. a wacky. That is just pants yeah, just on head retarded. Pants on head wacky satire uh, bullet hell shooter. Yeah, it's awesome. So exactly, um, but yeah, so so. You were saying stay with the light-hearted theme. Let's move to something where pretty much all of us are fans of or have played this franchise in the past. Mass Effect. Yeah. Been a while since we've heard anything from Mass Effect, hasn't it? Um, Until recently. I fell off the bandwagon at the end of 3. I'll be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I think they redeemed the whole thing with with the downloadable endings, to be honest. I mean, okay, it wasn't the best ending you could ever have. And in reality, your choices counted for little, apart from a couple of sketches at the end. But at least it was an ending that you could live with. Still, I refuse to pay for an ending that I want. It was free. It was free. Was it? <laughs> yeah. See, that, that's, how much free I, and it... that's how angry I was at the end of Mass Effect 3. I was like, no, I'm done. Screw this. I maintain that to some extent, if, if, the, if they had originally released this game... With the extended cut DLC like packaged into the into the disc, I think that the reception would have been a lot better. I think you still would have got the backlash for your choices not mattering as much, and I think the way that they uh, publish pub, uh, publicized the game by saying we're going all your choices are going to add up at the end really didn't help them either. But I don't think the backlash would have been as bad if it included the extended cut. So True. what do we know so far? Uh, well, they've conveniently kind of sidestepped this idea. So people who have not played uh, Mass Effect 3 or have not finished the game, highly unlikely given it came out two years ago now, but uh, it basically ended with a very irreconcilable position, what I'd call the, the Deus Ex position of the game ends with three endings that very much change the setting and would require 
quite a lot of graphical and engine-based distinction between the three endings and a big difference in plot as well. Uh, and they've kind of sidestepped that by doing, as they said, either a prequel or a side story, and, and the current details that have been leaked are more of a side story. Yeah, precisely. It's uh, it's a galaxy far, far away, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes. Well, the closest galaxy in the real world terms of things, but still very, very far away, to the point where any decision that you made in the previous Mass Effect games is utterly irrelevant. Yes, I found that quite odd, actually, because they... Again, this is all based on the leaked information. The uh, it seems that humanity sent out a pathfinder um, cohort to find other planets to uh, to inhabit and with humanity and civilization. So it begs the question: What was the point of defeating the Reapers in the end if humanity is going to survive somewhere else? See, I probably would have sided with the Reapers. Just you know, just leave me alive; it'd be fine. <laughs> well, I think, uh, as we saw in the games, a lot of people did, in effect. But uh, I don't know. I mean, you can, can see it in that one way. You can you can obviously take the admittedly somewhat cynical viewpoint of, well, if humanity was just going to emerge into a galaxy anyway, what? why were we so worried about the Reapers? Well, the first obvious point being that billions upon billions of, of life forms would have died if the Reapers got their way. Uh, but... I, I can understand this this feeling of this just invalidates my choices even more. Um, the, I think it's 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 a real attempt on their behalf to distance themselves from the the previous kind of backlash they received uh, from Mass Effect Freeze ending. Fair enough, but why? You see, I think if if this is the real sort of uh, what the gameplay is going to be like, I would have been happier with a game that wasn't titled Mass Effect. Something completely new, unless, of course, they're going to tie in old characters. So I don't know how much, um, Chris, you haven't seen this, but Charles, I assume he has. When uh, the ship crash lands into uh, a random planet that has Garrus on it. Yes. Um, unless they're going to have that ship being hurtled forward into another galaxy and maybe tie in uh, the Pathfinder people finding this strange ship that has crashed on a new on an undiscovered planet it, it there's really no link to Mass Effect 3 it, could it not have been called a different franchise if you see what I mean well there's a couple of things the first being that this is a huge money making franchise and EA yes. is never going to let Bioware step away whilst it's still making money <laughs> this is EA we're talking about yeah. but the uh, I would say in response to that, this may be an example of the original kind of plan going forward, just kind of rearing its head a little bit, in that we can you, you can quite easily piece together where they might have been going uh, with the ending. So, okay. for for example, if if the uh, the Normandy getting knocked out of uh, is, it, is it hyperspace in the Mass Effect universe? I do forget. It's the mass relay transit system, anyway. Yes. Um, getting knocked out of the, the system, they could have then gone, well, they've been knocked out into another galaxy because space-time or something like that. Um, and, and then that may very well have been that then this Pathfinder organization comes across them and they have to suddenly start trying to set themselves up because they can't go back to the previous galaxy. And that would have been a way of keeping in previous characters that people liked. True. Okay, if, if we set... Um... 
obviously you two are quite passionate about Mass Effect. I, I must admit, I played Mass Effect 3. I loved the gameplay. I liked how it handled and how it looked. But if you two could see one thing changed or something included in Mass Effect 4, what would it be? Uh, Commander Shepard. You want him back? Uh, her back, in my case. I, I personally always preferred uh, Commander Shepard as a woman for the simple reason that the incredible voice acting performance of Jennifer Hale in the title role. But uh, it, that that's be, me being pedantic. Um, I I think that people have so have so identified with this character that any attempt of them to try and move forward is inevitably immediately going to just be a base breaker for the fan base. So it would be like taking Master Chief out of Halo. Yes, uh, and and you saw how badly Bungie's immediate life went when they tried to take uh, to um, to distance themselves from Halo. But you've got to agree, it is highly unlikely that Commander Shepard is going to come back. Yes, I mean uh, that that me me taking that as my particular change is entirely based on uh, them changing the entire set of the endings, and I doubt that that would that's ever going to be a possibility again. So I'm going to move on to Mike's answer in that case. That's a difficult one. What would I change? Well, well not necessarily what would you change, but um, it could be anything. Would you set Mass Effect 4 before even Mass Effect 1? Or would you do it, say for instance, the Reapers annihilated all life in the Milky Way? No. I mean, what I... Uh, it's a difficult question, actually. Um, you must have really loved pre- Mass Effect 3. I think maybe a prequel would have been a good idea. Sort of, you know the whole storyline of the, I can't remember now, the ones that, the, the aliens that were like um, giant squids on which the Reapers were, were modelled on. Oh, yes. Uh, the Leviathans. Exactly. And the whole lore of how they created the Reapers and the Reapers going off on a tangent and misinterpreting. I personally would have liked to have seen a little, uh, maybe a side game, not part of the whole series, looking at uh, the Geth Quarium War when it first started, for example, to go to a similar similar flashpoint. So the thing is, they've got so much they can do with Mass Effect 4. They've got so many possibilities of where they could set it, in, both in uh, space and time. But I wasn't... I, I actually kind of expected them to do something like, uh, it looks like what Deus Ex Human Revolution's new sequel, um, Deus Ex Mankind Divided, is going to be doing. Um, because it's quite clear from watching the trailer which came out for that a few weeks ago that the they appear to have taken the fourth ending as the canon ending, so to speak. Yeah. Where the fourth ending of Deus Ex is, is, you have three other endings which are blame a various group, but the fourth ending is just nobody knows what happened. It, 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 that that sort of arrangement. And they've gone for the fourth one. We had a fourth ending hidden away in the extended cut DLC for Mass Effect. So, yes. With Shepard still alive. Yes. Yes. Um, well, Star Wars of Knights of the Old Republic did that as well, didn't they? Because you could end up on the dark side or the light side of the Force. And then they took the ending for the light side of the Force's cabin. Yes. I think that's going. That is a problem with doing one of these games where they have such a choice-based element, as it is difficult sometimes to 
straw the line at what is and isn't going to be in the sequel, what's the canonical ending, because they know no matter which one they choose, people are going to be angry. Yeah, but it might be the way gaming is going forward. There's the yeah. other, there's another franchise, a very popular franchise, that probably has the same problem, which is The Elder Scrolls. Yes. What is the next um, edition of The Elder Scrolls going to be? Uh, has the Empire collapsed? Is Skyrim still part of the Empire? They've got to choose one way. Exactly. I mean... Uh, is the oh let me remember is the Elder Scrolls Online it's set before Skyrim isn't yes, it as far as I like remember yeah second age of memory serves me correctly yes see we're both big fanboys of the Elder Scrolls but neither of us have touched the Elder Scrolls Online yet and I don't think I will excuse my language it's a pile of shit <laughs> speaking speaking of the Elder Scrolls uh, did you hear recently that the console release for the Elder Scrolls for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One uh, has been kind of somewhat leaked. And then in a very typical major publisher fashion, the they responded by uh, going with the old announcement, which I think it was Rockstar first dumped out uh, when GTA 5 was announced, which was, we have not yet announced our release... No, we have not yet made an announcement to announce the release date. Yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. Why... I don't know, I think, actually, before I get grumpy about uh, The Elder Scrolls Online, talking of Bethesda, who we're all fans of Bethesda, right? Yeah. It Well, it's yeah. been four, can you believe it's been four years since Skyrim? No, uh, actually. Four years since Skyrim You're making Skyrim me feel out. old, Chris. Pardon? You're making me feel old, Chris. Oh, well, that's because we are it. old. But, <laughs> even more, it's five years since Fallout New Vegas. So, ah. what's on the horizon? Yes, for, uh, for, bah, I'll start again. I was about to say start Far Cry 4 then for a second. Yeah, Far Cry. Uh, <laughs> Bethesda's going to release Far Cry 4 again. <laughs> no. Uh, no, uh, but Fallout 4, for obvious reasons, is kind of, is is the burr in the paw of... Uh, of, of Bethesda at the moment. like Every time they try to announce anything to do with one of their other properties, be it Wolfenstein or anything like that, or Dishonored, their, their comment sections on everywhere that they announce it is just, nope, nope, don't want it. Far Cry, uh, Fallout 4. Fallout 4, please. We want more Fallout 4. Is- we don't care about Wet or whatever game you're working on or The Evil Within. Fallout 4. Isn't That's my point of view exactly summed up because I spent hundreds of hours playing both Fallout uh, Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas actually and the previous ones but the it begs the question now are they going to well now we've got the power of the well current gen PlayStation 4 Xbox One um, and obviously UPC Gaming Master Race where will it be set? The technology is capable now of both um, Oculus integration which would be amazing but I'd like to hedge my bets on it being set somewhere very similar to Washington. I I wouldn't like it to be, obviously, because obviously it's Washington, D.C. But then if you take another city, is it really going to have as much of an impact? It, it really does depend because the this is speaking as someone who does not have a huge amount of knowledge of American geography, obviously, but uh, I always got the impression from how the Fallout universe was structured that uh, it was kind of the East Coast or the West Coast was there were there two areas in which they actually were comfortable setting games, uh, and I, I 
kind of expect that as the last major game we saw was West Coast, or Western at least, around Vegas. Uh, I expected that we might see something on the East Coast this time. But I think the biggest thing I'm most excited about is just the fact it's so... I, I don't know, I'm just such a fanboy, whereas like some of our other friends are Nintendo fanboys, which I'll never understand. <laughs> but having another Fallout game means another, I don't know, another 500 of my hours gone, just written off. But I, I think it'll be set on the West Coast again. Somehow. So after after a long... So after a long, drawn-out reply, you completely agree with what I said? I do and I don't. Because okay. if, <laughs> if, they, if they just remake Fallout 3 in, a, in uh, an updated engine with new shiny graphics, that's just not going to cut the mustard, is it? Well, it's essentially what Skyrim was, uh, except that they you know, made a game with a compelling storyline that didn't have a generic environment, let's say Oblivion did. That probably made a lot of people angry when I said that. But, uh, but that was goddamn yeah, dragons. <laughs> I mean, well, we've seen we could have seen how much better you can do dragon fights since then. You can you've, you can only point to say the example of Dragon Age Inquisition or um, what was the other one? There was a uh, Dragon's Dogma was released a little while ago. Had fights where you could literally climb over the bodies of a monster as you were fighting them, um, a la Shadow of the Colossus. So yeah, I was going to say that reminds me of that. Yeah, but I'm I'm really looking forward to it. Yes, we uh, we'll wait and see. I mean, we have some leaks saying that Far Cry Four. I keep saying that we have some we have some leaks saying that Fallout Four is actually uh, has been confirmed for E three, and that it should be a, a case of an announcement followed by a twenty minute behind doors game presentation for journalists. So we may get a shiny uh, CGI trailer, but I don't think we're going to be seeing any gameplay released to the public anytime soon, unfortunately. No, I don't. Well, I, it depends if they're working on uh, another Elder Scrolls game in the parallel as well. It's nearly time up for the five-year cycle they usually have between Elder Scrolls games. Yeah. So we should be ex- optimistically expecting another game next year at some point. So. Hmm. But uh, I think we've all weighed in quite well on that now. So moving on to another topic. Uh, This one, I'm quite glad that you mentioned Nintendo fanboys there, Chris. Because I have a Nintendo fanboy-related point to make. Actually, that wasn't even planned. That was quite good. (laughs) (laughs) uh, So I think you can all commiserate with it, though, a bit. Because it's Nintendo being terrible at something. Which probably will make you happy. At least, uh, Nintendo have been reporting serious shortages in supply of amiibo. So, for you uninitiated types, uh, amiibo are small statues of Nintendo characters which have an actual scannable function in the game, uh, be it uh, a feature within the actual game or a game in itself. So, recently we found that if you scan them on the Wii U, they will give you a random level from an NES game starring that character, for example. So is it like a... Uh, as I'm not a huge Nintendo person, so it's basically a small statue you rub on your console? Yeah. Alright, I'm on board now. Yeah, but uh, they've been extraordinarily popular. I mean, they've shipped uh, 10.5 million of them to stores now. 
and the big controversy surrounding them is that they are select figures that they haven't been producing in very large amounts, and the scalpers have been going wild with them on eBay. Mm. And I think that's a quite a big mess up. I mean, these were first released in November. That's a supply problem that should have been fixed by now, quite frankly, Nintendo. But maybe they didn't realise the sort of market they were aiming for. Obviously, they know Nintendo have a very loyal market, but they're not going to be expanding greatly, are they? So they should have quite easily put to manufacture enough to cover it, but obviously they didn't. I think one problem as well is that you're getting people who are buying this not uh, to have anything to do with the Wii U because as you say their fan base not only is failing to grow in in some ways we've seen in the last few years it's constricting it's back to the kind of the core faithful rather than the casual market that the Wii brought in um the question for me is are people out going out and buying this as a, a as a toy people who didn't weren't interested in the Wii U but were fans of Nintendo in the past and thought pick a uh, little statue of Mario I'm having that have that put me on my work desk, etc. I love the way you went really northern then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good point, actually, because that's something I would do, really. If I found a little statue of Wario, for example, I'd want to put him on my desk because it brings back memories of uh, my, my Nintendo Game Boy uh, days when I was a kid. Yeah, I mean, the nostalgia factor is a, is just a huge moneymaker for Nintendo. We can't deny that one. I mean... True. Uh, I, I personally don't own any Amiibo. Uh, that's mostly because my Wii U has sat disused for about the better part of three months now, uh, which has just simply just been due to the fact that there's been so many other game releases that I've been struggling to keep up on top of that I have not really had much of a chance to play with the Wii U recently. So how do you, do you think this problem will solve itself in a, in a short-ish time? Well, it will solve itself if the market dries up. I mean, eventually you're going to get to the point where you can only really release new poses or new, more obscure characters that maybe have less interest and in themselves will probably cost more because there will only be a limited number of them. Or they start releasing amiibos for things like Pokemon. Could you imagine oh, that? Oh, that, apparently, that apparently that is planned. Really? That that's a moneymaker if I've ever heard it. Oh good yeah, lord! I mean, this, these these would be the first what I'd call truly official like triple A quality made like little Pokemon figures that I've been aware of. Uh, I'm pretty certain there has been some before, but not on a kind of everyone at Nintendo. Everyone who's a Nintendo fan would know about it sort of level. Um, I think that would go completely crazy, and it would draw back people who have not played Pokemon for 15 years, for example. Yeah, it's the, it's the closest thing to a real Pokemon that you can get, isn't it? Is, it's the closest thing to printing money as you can get. Sure. Can you just get, you know, pets? They're practically Pokemon. Everyone can have pets, I suppose. Yeah, that is you speaking as the only person here who has a pet. Uh, one, so. two, three, four. I've got too many to count. Yes, yes. Well, exactly. he's a pet himself anyway. But, hey, yeah. hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so, uh, moving on from Nintendo-related matters, uh, I've been uh, having a look at some of the news related around GTA V because I've been playing a lot of GTA V recently. Uh, the PC version has been out for quite a while. And they're already managing to account for some controversy, uh, not necessarily related to the gameplay itself, but to the modding community. Have any of you, have either of you seen this? Yes. No, I haven't. I have, but I'll let Charles elaborate. 
Okay, well, essentially it, what it comes down to is that uh, Rockstar have kind of clarified a bit more what their what their stance on modding is, and they they basically came out and said, we are fine with you modding our games in single player mode. GTA Online, if your mod interferes with GTA Online, we're not happy with that. I can totally you know understand that? that point of view, though. I yeah, look I at it in a yeah. Sorry, I think it's an, I think it's fair enough. I mean, if if it's an online game, it's not just your experience; it could be somebody else's experience. It's paid just as much money as you have to have that experience. I think I've said experience about five times there. It's all I about mean, XP most here. MM, I think most MMOs, quite frankly, uh, operate on exactly the same sort of uh, business model. So I, I, I don't find that controversial in the slightest. However, they also managed to release a single-player update that apparently basically meant a lot of single-player mods no longer work, including the much-cherished and much-loved Pedestrian Riots mod, which was uh, in GTA 4 uh, as a cheat. And I think it was in GTA San Andreas as a cheat as well, but I can't quite remember. Well, there was an entire riot episode part on the San Andreas towards the end of the game. Um, there was massive, massive riots as part of the main storyline. See, when I was young and GTA 5, sorry, not GTA, GTA San Andreas was a thing, uh, I was one of those young people who, if a game was that big, I was not going to finish it. Like, <laughs> I, I have a great example of, like, e- even games I absolutely loved like, at the time, like the Final Fantasy series, I would never come anywhere near completing those games because they were just so big. But then, And inevitably I'd get, I'd get to a boss that I just didn't have the skill or the knowledge how to beat and I wasn't willing to grind for it. See, this is you've just hit on a really good point, that if they're sort of underhandedly stopping modding of GTA V, is it going to hamper its life? I mean, modding obviously extended the life of San Andreas, and other GTA games, they're quite open to it. So, Well, to just clarify something quickly there, they have come out since and said that this was just inadvertent, that this, they, they made an update and they didn't realise it was going to affect mods in that fashion. To be fair, other other games have done it. I mean, to go back to the Elder Scrolls games, how many times have we had add-ons and mods for that game that have all of a sudden stopped working? Give them a couple of months and then they start working again. Well, if you go back to last week with uh, Steam trying to get uh, a paid mods community on the go, uh, you don't have to think back that far at all. True. But, mm. see, wh- well, we all know how that went. Where, where do you stand on um, modding? Say, for instance, in the the heist, if you played online, um, if all of your friends had the, mo- the same mod, um, would you be annoyed that you couldn't use it? Not necessarily. Uh, I think maybe this shows that there could be a market for kind of like multiplayer drop-in games, like into the single-player campaign. Ah. In that if you if you all want to play with the same mod, if you all are just five of you in your own sandbox, maybe that's where the correct forum for that should be, rather than online. Yeah, because we all know that multiplayer st- uh, parts of games anyway can be unstable, so... There's another element of not putting all these mods in it, which might make the servers even more unstable, and might end up ejecting everybody for two hours, and then all hell breaks loose. I mean, you'd be surprised how much work goes into a multiplayer system at times. I mean, uh, going back to Dragon Age Inquisition, they just recently released a free multiplayer update um, that gave a great example of they had to hold this back because it just wasn't ready at showtime. 
I mean, rather than delaying the the whole game, they they kept this element back, and thankfully did not charge for it. See that that's a bonus, especially in AAA titles. Well, especially with EA and their habit of charging for everything these days, I think that was very very good. That this was just a free update because uh, it was kind of just it was content that had been artificially ripped out of the disc just because it wasn't ready. Quite frankly, yeah, but I think that's a. Um... A good way of doing, uh, of keeping your, your 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 group of players happy. It's this idea that some games have at the moment, and I think this started off early on with. Uh, well, the first thing I, first example I can think of is the Oblivion DLC for the shiny horse armor. Oh yes. Uh, of charging um, money f- for nuts things that do absolutely nothing to the game. I, if you look at what uh, is uh, predicted for The Witcher 3 with DLC is that the company is going to provide DLC. The DLC is not going to make your game any worse, and the DLC it's going to provide is actually going to introduce significant hours of gameplay. It's not something silly that gives you an extra gun or an extra skin or uh, bells and whistles that do nothing to the gameplay. I also think that there's a good distinguishing factor for the Witcher example, which is these DLCs, which you can... Unfortunately, they have gone with a pre-order paid system for it, uh, but they are actually going to make these after the game is released. This isn't stuff which they made as part of the game and then took out to charge you with. This is an extra like add-on to the game, almost like an expansion pack. See, I wish we could go back to the days of uh, DLC being proper expansion packs. We all remember Diablo 2. Mm. And it's saying that even Diablo 3 to an extent put in another act. Why? I don't like these microtransactions for cosmetics in games because for oh, people... Blizzard, Blizzard as a company have actually been very faithful to the expansion pack set up recently. Oh yeah, that, that's true actually. The Skyrim expansion packs have actually been full-on expansions. You've sorry, uh, bl- Blizzard, not Bethesda. Oh, sorry, sorry. Yep, my mistake. But, yeah, I mean, that's the uh, that's the place I think companies should go for. If it's more items, they should be free. Maybe giveaways at Christmas, maybe giveaways at Easter. Reward your gamers, who are going to spend a decent amount of money for an expansion pack. I mean, The Witcher 3 is, uh, uh, I think it's uh, $30.00. For the expansions, that's the predicted price, I think. Twenty five if you buy it before release. It's a significant amount of money, but if you make people happy, a lot of people will buy it. Annoy people like you did with Dragon Age Origins and force them to do half quests and then go, please pay me. I'm not going to buy anything. I'm going to get my game and stick it in the drawer or trade it in and not play it again. Actually, this is a good example of. Uh, most people will hate me for saying this, for companies treating their customers well with regards to updates and DLC. Um, a couple of things I want to mention is I play a game called Space Engineers on Steam. I've had it since it was in alpha. Um, I got suckered into early access. But all the updates for it, automatically update through Steam, all have m- like more content, more things, graphical overhauls, it literally everything. And also, uh, a thing that Mike and I have spent a lot of time playing is Destiny. There's a lot of content added into that game for free. 
a lot of content that you, that you could argue until the recent major update that was essentially stripped out of the game to sell you to, well to to send later. Although it hasn't been sold to you later, as no, far as I can see, remember. See, that's the sort of premise I'm working on. That if you rip stuff out of a game because it's not quite ready, I'm okay with that, as long as it's not huge chunks of it. Now, obviously, as long as it doesn't yeah. impinge on the actual game. But then, if you add it in later, say a few guns or a few new items, even areas of the map which you previously locked off, that's fine. That's actually a good way of sort of drip feeding your fan base content to keep them loyal hmm. well we've outlined what we think is the correct way to do dlc uh essentially coming down to the the content is kind of post-release extra thing that has been built it hasn't been artificially stretched out of the game early in order to sell someone for an inflated markup and that the kind of small uh dlc's packs that we've been seeing like weapons uh outfits armors etc are probably more the sort of thing that should be a bonus for loyal customers rather than another demand from the market saying that i got i think but mike and i both got everybody who plays destiny got legendary items for christmas yeah yep yeah, see that's that's a very good way of supporting it i mean um I have a good example of something that's re relatively recent, which I think is uh, the way not to do DLC and not to do the season pass model, especially. Um, this is Arkham Knight, which is probably one of the more anticipated games in recent times, you have to say. I must admit, I've pre-ordered pre it and I'm completely in the dark about this DLC thing, so please don't make me cry. <laughs> okay, well, the season pass... What would you say is a reasonable price for a season pass, Chris? Uh, are we talking? Uh, are we talking in dollars or pounds here? Uh, we're talking dollars, just because that's what the announcement was made. Oh, what's it? Usually two or three, or one big DLC, then two smaller ones. I'd say about for something like Arkham Knight, I'd be willing to pay thirty to thirty-five dollars. Okay, it's forty dollars. Uh, that's still that's on the high side, though. If you're already paying that yes. much for the game anyway, you want it to be good. What are they providing, though, in that DLC? Because for $40, I'd expect 30, 40 hours worth of gameplay. Well, exactly. I mean, the problem for me where this starts to fall down is when you outline what this is going to consist of. So it's going to consist of DLC Batgirl missions, which, as far as I'm aware, have been artificially taken out of the core game, just to kind of get the season pass off the ground and force people to get it. DLC races, new story-based content, uh, Batman skins. These, with the exception of the new story of his content, this is all stuff which they could just put in the core game. See, the the, yeah. the skins idea, I'm a, I'm totally cool with Batman having different skins in the game. But why don't they have it as you unlock them uh, for doing challenges? Yeah, it should be a reward for gameplay. Yeah, I don't see the point of being charged to change my character's colours. It's... Considering we are now in next-generation gaming, next-generation co uh, consoles... Why are we still paying for changes in colour? Yeah, I mean, as well, it's also such a question of trust from this company. I mean, Warner Brothers, as a publisher, does not have a good record on trust. I mean, you don't have to look any further than Ar uh, Arkham Origins, for example, where rather than... When it was first released, it was notoriously buggy. But rather than sitting down and developing a patch in order to fix this issue, they instead openly admitted that their developers were instead working on new DLC content rather than patching the game to fix it for people who bought it on day one. See, if... I mean, yeah. that's, that's that's utterly disgraceful. That's awful. Well, that's, 
that's that's the publishers pulling down the pants and going suck on this, isn't it? Yes, I mean, uh, the, there's there's no way around it. You can't. I, I cannot think of a legitimate argument why you have to do why why you should be doing that. Your fan base has paid what fifty dollars or sixty dollars for this game. On day one, it should work. That's the number one purpose of a game. I'm having flashbacks but, of uh, Unity here. <laughs> yes. To be fair, Charles, I I can understand a bit a buggy game on the release. Oh, I can I, as well. I, I mean, I, Dragon I, Age Inquisition was very buggy when it first came yeah. out. And, and I, I say this as a caveat, as a very, very big fanboy of Paradox who are renowned for releasing very buggy games at the beginning. Yes. But Paradox has a, be- has a really good model. They'll get out a game, and then they'll update it. And they'll update it some more. And then they'll update it. And, and just keep on update after update after update. And ev- even when they release their DLC, they will still put some further updates that improve the game. I mean, things that other companies do actually charge for. Um, and just make the just just make the game environment uh, pleasurable, and that's that's why I've got over nine hundred hours on Crusader Kings two. Yes, I mean the, uh, the what I do like about their model is some people I do know do debate as to how meaningful the DLCs are when they come out. I personally have quite liked most of the DLCs that have been released. However, every time they release a DLC, they also release a major update which includes free material and fixes and extra content. For people who have not bought the DLC and have no plans to buy the DLC, precisely, precisely. So it's saying, look, you can buy this if you want. However, for being a loyal customer, here's this thing for free. We we don't mind. And uh, I think Crusader Kings Two, Europa Universalis Four, have I think some of the most successfully sold DLCs ever. Because I'm happy, I'm happy to pay fifteen quid for a DLC because it's so good. And it gives me so many more hours and so much more fun and joy out of the game. I mean, uh, it also gives them such a harmonious uh, player base to some extent. I mean, I, I don't know of many paradox-based arguments around their core game communities that have kind of spun out into the controversy you see from, say, an EA or a Ubisoft uh, on on day one release, etc. Yeah, I mean, even when they come out with sort of funny DLCs like their... Um, What's the Aztec one called? Sunset Invasion. That's the one. I think the argument with Sunset... So Sunset Invasion, for context, for people who have not played the game we're currently talking about, was a joke DLC released on April Fool's Day, if I remember correctly, which was basically said, you know the Mongol hordes invaded uh, Europe during the Middle Ages. This, uh, what would happen if the Aztecs invaded the Western Europe during the Middle Ages? And this was a complete base breaker, and it's probably the biggest controversy that game has had. And it was more controversy as to how historically accurate it was, rather than how good it was from the gameplay standard. Precisely. Most, if you look at the forums, most people's answer is, "Oh well, you don't like it, don't buy it. No problem." Mm. Exactly. Anyway, so to to allow Chris back in the <laughs> conversation, being such a dirty peon that he is, he, he he obviously has no idea what his betters are talking about, but. Uh, <sighs> Chris. Yes. <laughs> Chris, I'm going to be nice to you and throw you a bone. What have you been playing recently, Chris? Um Don't say Destiny. No, no, actually. Don't say Borderlands 2. Uh Borderlands 2. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually I've been playing um fairly constantly actually for the past what, 2-3 weeks I've been playing a lot of Far Cry 4. Um both single player and actually online with Mike. 
and uh, the Handsome Collection, which I would argue there was a lot of controversy about it uh, when it came out that it was just a cash grab for the franchise, boxing up the pre-sequel and Borderlands 2 and all the DLC and selling it for 40 quid. Or $60? Sorry, I'm speaking English here. Uh, But actually, the amount of entertainment I've had out of that game is unsurpassed because it's almost nostalgic to me. I don't know how Mike feels about it. Oh, I've been playing it maybe for a month now, and I, I, I love it. It's funny. That it's got satire in it, and it's a game that actually does have satire in it because it makes fun of itself. It's well scripted. It's uh, it's just huge. It's well balanced. It is terrifyingly it's just, huge. Yeah, and it's huge. And the DLC is. I know it's provided for free in the Handsome Collection, so the money issue is superfluous. But they are so big, and they are so much fun. And Chris and I have been spending spent, I think. Two or three nights playing Torg's um, Torg's campaign of carnage. Yeah, I, and that is just doing the main storyline. Torg's, of course, has another twenty or thirty side missions to go. They're saying that. What was it? About five hours of an evening we played for what? Three or four days, doing three days. Three days, yeah. just doing that DLC. And there's like tens of other side quests we could have done, but what? we find most amusing at the minute we've got another friend that plays with us we've started tackling we're, we're big D&D fans we've started tackling uh, Tiny Tina's Assault on Dragon Keep yeah I have heard about that that it was a it was a kind of pen and paper RPG parody it is yes. it, but it's so well it's done hilarious. it's beautifully done like there are in jokes that if you didn't play D&D you wouldn't get but I don't know it's got things like I mean it's it's the, it's the slight um nod to detail. So you've got in the game, you've got uh, shock barrels, for example. In the main game, it's an oil drum that if you shoot, shoots up lightning everywhere. In this Tiny Tina's uh, Adventure on Dragon Keep, the shock barrel is an actual wooden barrel with iron bands. So they've changed everything. It's it's all fantasy based. It's just really good. I love the way it's fantasy, but we're running around with you know, sawn-off shotguns and assault rifles. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do like a good D&D parody. I mean, the only thing I enjoyed of the game Fable 3 is that there is a side quest at one point where you are shrunk down onto a D&D board and you have to play a D&D game that is taking the piss out of D&D. And that was literally the only... One of the very few things that I liked about Fable 3. Um, so. the, whole, the whole ethos of like Borderlands 2 is it, it is stupid, but it's self-aware. And... Yeah. The ability of so the it's, characters. it's this case of being self-aware, self-referential and self-aware, whereas you get games more recently like uh, Sunset Overdrive, for example, which is just self, just kind of self-referential. Yeah, see, the characters yeah. in it, the, the voice acting I love as well. Um, one of my favourite characters, Moxie, she's a recurring character throughout. The, even on the same disc, you've got Borderlands 2 and all the DLC, and then you've got the pre-sequel. When you have, um, you see her in She's got different bars, like we were just talking about Assault and Dragon Keep. Um, there, she's got uh, she owns the tavern in the local village, whereas in the main game she owns like Moxie's bar. But then again, jump to the pre-sequel, she owns Moxie's Down Under bar because it's done by 2K Australia rather than just 2K. There's <laughs> so many little things in that game that we've spent 
tens, tens of hours just messing around in it. You you mentioned something previously, and, and I think still applies to what you're saying now. One thing about kind of modern game development and how much bigger uh, the scale the scale of games can be now in these current engines that we have. I mean, I I was playing I I've been playing Dragon Age Inquisition again recently, and I just kind of marvel at how much bigger and more open many kind of games feel in over the last kind of five years compared to even five years before then. Okay, so actually, take a step back. Think to your childhood, which was the game you most enjoyed or most remember playing. Uh, Dungeon Keeper Two. Ape Escape on PlayStation One. <laughs> now, now compare the quality and size of games that you have now. That's quite humbling. I I would say it's not necessarily just a case of quality. It's a case of that there's limitations have been removed that were very much uh, a problem back then. I mean, the draw distance, for example, on the PlayStation One was crippling to many titles if you wanted a large, well rendered world. Um, PlayStation Two again had all sorts of processor combination problems. Nowadays, the consoles are moving more and more to this open uh, PC-based architecture. That they're not—they're very much being able to overcome limitations that that PC overcame five years ago. I'll say another... Not not to turn this in, not, not to turn this into a PC versus console debate. Yeah. but that just is a simple. Because we all know, I'll just go quiet and I'll let you talk for the next two hours about why PC is better. Well, I would say it's a case of PC is better from a. Just from a limitation standpoint. Oh yeah. But if you have, but if you don't have the huge budgets or the technical wherewithal and knowledge to work on a PC uh, for all your gaming, then the console is an obvious alternative. It's cheaper. It's much more pick up and play. You just put the disc in and the disc plays. See, this is my. I mean, this is why I generally play more on my console than I do my PC. Obviously, I do. I love things like Civilization and other sort of strategy games on my PC. But when I come in from work, all I want to do is slouch on the sofa, crack open a beer and, you know, shoot some bad guys. Mm. Yeah, I think it does depend on what sort of game you're playing. Like like Chris, I, I like my strategy games on my computer. I would not ever, I would never ever play Total War on, on, a, on a console because it just doesn't gel. I wouldn't play Civ Five on a console. I like my I like that to be a computer game, but shooters, um, things like uh, The Witcher Three, I would like them to be on a console. To go back to Bethesda stuff with Elder Scrolls, then I like to go on the PC, but that's for a different reason. It's because I like to use all the mods. Ah, uh, yes, I can understand that being the one of the. Big kind of long-term selling factors of Skyrim, for example, is the degree to which you can mod the game, which is uh, is all but impossible on on console. Yeah, that, that's very true. And that nicely ties into a new game I've been playing, by the way, which is um, Endless Legend. Oh, right. And, and I think it's worth a mention, to be honest with you, because everybody talks about Sid Meier's Civilization V and how awesome it is. Love it. And uh, how disappointed people were with the latest release, which was um, Brave uh, New World, Beyond Earth. Hang on, Beyond Earth or Brave New World? Oh, sorry, I'm I'm thinking of the I'm think I'm thinking of the poorly received uh, uh, space-based sequel. Yeah, Beyond Earth. That's the one. That's the one I was referring to. Um, you see, what uh, life of me? I can't remember the name of the of Endless Legend, the publishing house. Apologize for that. Um, 
But it's fine. I can look it up in the background. What what that company has done has taken the the genre to an alien planet, and they have done it in a most beautiful way possible. They've given different factions completely different playstyles. So what you have, rather than the generic human. Um, has more trade, this human has more politics, this human has more naval. They've got the Broken Lords, who cannot farm because they are vampires, so they need to mine certain substance with which they create more uh, peons. You've got the cultists, which cannot have more than one city, but they convert other people into their armies. They, they cannot actually build an army, but they can convert people. You have the necrophages who, who can only feed by killing enemies and using their bodies as food. So every single um, tribe you play, every single faction you play, is a completely different playstyle. The game is also beautiful, and they've introduced um, a proper questline, which is something I've never seen for a strategy game like this. This sounds a bit like... Um, You've already sold me on just telling me about it, but um, we play a lot of tabletop games as well, and this sounds like uh, that tabletop game we played the other week. Uh, Endless... Um, no, what? Em Empire? Twilight, in Twilight Imperium? Oh, Twilight Imperium That's 3. That's the one. It, it does sound a bit it, like that. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that you, like Civ Five, you can win technologically or militarily or whatever, but you can also do the main quest line, which involves you running about and doing every faction has its own specific thing to do. And that actually tells a story and is quite nice because it ties into an earlier game that the company released, which is Endless Space. And there's a whole lore involved in it. So it's, it's quite an engaging game. It's quite a hard game. It is not easy. Uh, it just ticks all the boxes for me, and I really, really recommend it if you like... If you like Civ Five, try Endless Legend. So, Charles, what have you been playing? Uh, I don't have anything creative to say because, unfortunately, the only thing I've really been playing has been GTA Five recently, and we've already spoken on that topic. But uh, apart from, well, uh, apart from that, I have been uh, playing a very, very old game from my childhood. You mentioned kind of Diablo two, uh, Diablo Two earlier. This, to me, in many ways, is the Diablo Two of my childhood, which was one of the Ultima games. Um, which to me really made me kind of feel sad because you may not know this, but Origin, the uh, the current distribution platform that EA markets, uh, yeah. Well, how they acquired the name Origin is it used to belong to Origin Studios, who were uh, a game studio who made a lot of games in the past, things like Wing Commander, Ultima, and various others. Um, and it just kind of made me feel sad to think that you know this 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 very uh, interactive style gameplay of their worlds that they had are uh, not really going to be seen anymore thanks to them being acquired by EA. I mean, uh, you may know kind of what uh, Wing Command looks like because you may have seen uh, the game Star Citizen uh, being currently in development. Yes, yeah, yeah, I've seen that on the internet. Mm -hmm. And that's made by the same uh, person who made Wing Commander. But no, I, I, I spent a lot of time being very, uh, very kind of rem uh, reminiscing and uh, fueling my own nostalgia rather than experiencing anything new, which I think is kind of adult life in general. I, I had that recently as well. I, uh, I've, I've bought a couple of days ago Sid Meier's Pirates. It's an old game, but it's a classic. Um, yeah. 
Well, speaking of old games, to round off the episode, I have a little challenge I'd like to throw out to both of you for the next time we do do this uh, podcast. Go on. And that is, that is, I challenge you in the next week to get a game from a game from before the year 2000, or preferably even earlier, that you have never played before, and give it a try, see how it holds up compared with the modern genre, and what things you feel that modern games may have to learn from that particular game. Okay. Can it... Can... can I ask for clarification. Can it be a remastering? Uh... I'm going to say yes, if it's not a remastering of a game that you've already played. Okay. Just... I'm thinking what on Steam isn't remastered now. I have a suspicion you're looking straight at Grim Fandango remastered, but... No, uh, I wasn't. I was actually looking at Abe's Odyssey. No, sorry. Ah... Odd and taste, uh, new and tasty. It's, yeah, I've got that on the PS4, but it's very different. But I was going to go for Abe's Exodus because I've never played that. Or is that cheating? Being a franchise, I've played. No, I, I, I think that would be fine. So, Mike, anything jump out to you? We've got, no, uh, we've, we, we have never played it before, though. Yeah, something you've never played. Never played before. There used to be a game I've always wanted to play, which was, um, it was an evil mastermind, and you had it was a sort of like dungeon building thing where you had to uh, you had an evil mastermind and try to take over is the world. Is it called Overlord? No, it wasn't called Overlord. It was it was just one big joke. It was taking the mick out of uh, James Bond. Oh. What's it called? I, I, like you, I cannot remember the name, but I think I know which thing you're talking about. So, so this will be a tune in next time to find out what game Mike was actually talking about. Yes. and uh, I'm actually going to Google it. <laughs> No, no, you've got to save that for the next episode. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, I also then will uh, save it for the next episode. I don't yet have a clear idea of which one I'm going to do, but I may even go for a genre of game that I don't normally play, say something like a driving game or something like that, for the simple reason that I think it'd be nice to rob my horizons. <laughs> so, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today on State of Play. We'll be back next week with more gaming news and a few more controversial opinions just ready to set YouTube afire. Thank you. It's good night from me. And it's good night from me. And it's good night from him. Damn it, Chris. Mm-hmm.